the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. for them to move on in their faith and not to become either legalistic, not to fall into legalism or become lazy in their faith, that he has to challenge them and encourage them about how Jesus is superior to all this stuff that they've grown accustomed to in terms of their traditions and their laws and their practices as Jews, seeing as how Christ has become the fulfillment of of all those things. You know, our Old Testaments are important because it shines light on the New Testament. Pastor Gary is going to show us today that the Hebrews aren't the only people who tend to fall backward into what they know when things get hard. That's something that's universal. You know and you've heard the truth about Jesus, but when you get that diagnosis, you forget. You fall back on the fake reassurance of church attendance instead of a relationship with the living Savior. The whole book of Hebrews is there to remind the Hebrews and to remind us that Jesus is better than any tradition. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's take our Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be picking up at the end of chapter 4 where we left off uh, two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, we left off right near the end of chapter 4 of Hebrews at the end of verse 13. So we have a couple of verses still to read. And You know, the chapters and verses were added centuries later to help us find our place around the Scriptures, Um, but, you know, they're just man-made delineations, and I I think chapter 5 would have been better to start at verse 14 of chapter 4, because verse 14 of chapter 4 really flows into the theme of chapter 5 and on, so I'm going to read starting at chapter 4, verse 14, and then I'm going to read into chapter 5 through verse 10. I think, Lord willing, we'll get through all of chapter 5 tonight, but for the moment, I'm just going to read chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 5, verse 10. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, circle that, that's going to be key to our study, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Chapter 5. 
Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek." So as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, remember that the main theme here throughout Hebrews is that Jesus is better, he's superior, he's greater than all these different things that the writer of Hebrews is going to enumerate because he's writing primarily to a group of people who are Hebrews, they are Jews, who are believers in Jesus as the Messiah, and and yet he realizes that in order for them to move on in their faith and not to become either legalistic, not to fall into legalism, or become lazy in their faith, that he has to challenge them and encourage them about how Jesus is superior to all this stuff that they've grown accustomed to in terms of their traditions and their laws and their practices as Jews, seeing as how Christ has become the fulfillment of all those things. You know, our Old Testaments are important because it shines light on the New Testament. But the New Testament also helps us to understand that Christ was revealed through the pages of the Old Testament because all of those things that were put in place in terms of the law, in terms of the feasts, in terms of the celebrations and the festivals, in terms of the dietary code and and all the ceremonial rituals, all of that was pointing ultimately to Christ and fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And so because the audience here that the writer of Hebrews is communicating to are Hebrews, they're Jews, and they're believers in Jesus, he's warning them and encouraging them, listen, don't fall back into all that stuff. All those things were were pointing to Christ, and Jesus is superior, better, greater than all those things. And so in the first chapter, in the first few chapters, we've looked so far at how he's greater than the prophets, and the writer of Hebrews is saying here, prophets are good, but Jesus is better. And, and he talks about how he's, he's greater than the angels. Angels are good, but Jesus is better. And how uh, he's greater than Moses. Moses is good, but Jesus is better. And, and, he's, and he's greater than Joshua. And again, Joshua's good, but Jesus is better. So he's going through their own history, and he's helping them to understand, you know, don't fall back into legalism, and don't resort to the rituals that were all intended to point to Christ, because Christ is better than all of that. And now he's going to come here to a subject that's going to dominate the next several chapters, and he's going to say Jesus is better than the high priest. And he's going to say to them that the high priest is good, but Jesus is better. And in fact, Jesus has replaced the high priest because he has fulfilled the priestly order. Now, this is going to rattle them. And you have to, again, when, when we read our Bibles, in particular the book of Hebrews, you have, to, you have to put yourself in the sandals of these Jewish people in the first century who are, who are believing in Jesus. Okay, they're not, 
you know, Jews who come to faith in Christ then and now, it's not like you leave your Judaism. You're still Jewish. You're fully Jewish, but you believe in Jesus as Messiah. And so he wants to make sure that in their Judaism, they don't fall back on Judaism, that they fall forward on Jesus, that it's all about Christ and how all of these things were pointing to Christ. And because the Jewish system of how you approached God was completely based on a sacrificial system, the sacrifice of animals, and the duties of the priests in regards to the sacrifice of animals, that for you to, for someone to come along now and to say, listen, Jesus is superior than the high priest. He's replaced that whole priestly service. I mean, it's touching on the core of how they actually connected and communed with God. Because up until Jesus came, and this is important, we have to understand the backstory for us to appreciate what the writer of Hebrews is saying in regards to Jesus and the high priest. The only way you approached God was through a priest. And, and to be quite honest with you, you know, some of you who have Catholic backgrounds, you're, you're going to recognize some of this is going to minister to you in a probably a profound way and perhaps even more profoundly than for others who, are, who are, aren't Catholic because there's a liberation that happened for the Jew and happens as well for those of you with Catholic backgrounds when you come to the realization that you don't have to go through a human being to get to God. That you can go directly to the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, and that Jesus is the intermediary, and He is the advocate, and He is the one who bridges the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that's liberating, and that's freeing. And so the writer of Hebrews, for his own people, is saying, listen, this should be liberating to you, so don't think that a high priest is where it's at. Jesus is where it's at, okay? Now, so let me give the backstory a little bit to, to all of this related to the priesthood so that we can appreciate the historical context and then, and then the literal context of Hebrews. So uh, in regards to the high priest, the high priest was raised up by God in Exodus 28 and 29 to serve as, again, that arbitrator, that intermediary between God and man. And God prescribed even the, the outfit to be worn by the high priest. There were also priests who assisted the high priest. And all of them came from the tribe of Levi. And so I got to back up and, and just you know, remind us, or for those of you who aren't familiar with this, to let you know like, where all this trans- transpired originally. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how Exodus chapter 20, this whole debacle with the Jewish people, the Hebrew people at the base of Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, receives the Ten Commandments. While he's up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, the Hebrew people are going wild. They break into revelry. They ask Aaron to make gods for them so that they can worship. So idolatry and all of this is happening. And God tells Moses and it's interesting in the language of the scriptures because God, uh, he doesn't permanently disown, but in the language, he's like, he's like not taking any ownership of the Jewish people. So he says to Moses, your people are acting up. You need to get down off the mountain. And Joshua, his protege is with him halfway down. He picks up Joshua halfway down and Joshua says, Hey, it's the sound of war. I hear the sound of war. Moses goes, uh-uh, it's not the sound of war. They're partying like West Virginia university. That's what's happening. <laughs> Sorry, it's one of the top five party schools in the country, so I just threw that in there. No offense to you mountaineers. But anyway, 
that Moses says they're partying. That's the sound of revelry and partying they were. I mean, they were engaging in all kinds of immorality and idolatry. And, and so, you know, Moses calls Aaron to account. Hey, bro, you know, I left you in charge. What happened here? And, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not twisting the scriptures. Those of you who know the story know. Aaron basically says, Mo, listen, I, all I can tell you is people brought me gold jewelry. I threw it into a pot and out crawled calves. And so, you know, I don't know how to, how to tell you otherwise, but this is just what's happened. And so, you know, he doesn't even take ownership uh, of, of his uh, wrong leadership. But anyhow, Moses then puts out this, this exhortation to the people of Israel. And he says, everybody on the side of God rallied to me right now. And the tribe of Levi rallied to him. And Moses said to them, I want you to strap a sword on your hip, and I want you to go through, and I want you to start to slaughter all your brothers because of their immorality and their disrespect and idolatry and rebellion against God. And so for a time there, there was, there was bloodshed as a result of their wickedness. But because the tribe of Levi had rallied to Moses and separated themselves from among the rest of the Jewish people, God ordained that the tribe of Levi should serve as priests unto him. Now, by the way, a Jew today with the last name Levi is a descendant of the tribe of Levi, a Jew with the last name Cohen. Cohen in Hebrew means priest. They typically, that means their family line could probably be traced back to the the tribe that they're probably a part of the tribe of Levi. And so God ordained that the tribe of Levi should be separated unto him as priests, and that one among the tribe of Levi should be chosen to be this guy, the high priest. And the first high priest, the first guy that God chooses is Aaron, the brother of Moses, who is the one who gave the excuse about and made the golden calves. So, which is remarkable, isn't it? Because God can use very fallible human people in his service. Because Aaron is not like this model of godliness, right? He's, he's, he's kind of the ringleader, and he made the golden calves for the people to worship in idolatry. And yet God in his grace chooses some of the most unlikely people, hello, uh, and he uses them for his glory. And I'm reminded regularly, you know, if God can use a donkey, now I'm not talking about Aaron, I'm just talking, you know, the story of Balaam, God can use anybody. So, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm braying to you every once in a while on a Sunday and a Wednesday, but that's just God uses imperfect people for his glory. It's remarkable that he chose Aaron, but he did. So Aaron serves as the very first high priest. And one of the things that God prescribes for the high priest is the vestments of the high priest. I'm just going to go over this very quickly with you because I want to prolong the history too long, but I want you to get the whole picture of what's happening here. So in Exodus 28 and 29, you can go home and read all the details later, but one of the things that the, the high priest, we're talking about the high priest had to wear was a turban with a gold plate on his forehead that read in Hebrew, holy to the Lord. He was separated as unto the Lord. Part of his outfit also included a breastplate with 12 precious stones. These 12 precious stones that he wore as a breastplate on his chest represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He also had two onyx stones on each shoulder. There's a lot that I'm not going to talk about. I just want to point out some of the main features. He also wore a tunic of fine linen. That was basically the undergarment. That was the first phase of his whole attire. And then on top of his tunic was an ephod of four different colors. The Bible was specific. God was even specific about what colors uh, it was to be made of. And then also he was to have a robe underneath the ephod. And God even said it was to be made of blue cloth. Uh, In addition, again, I'm not going to... but 
he had to have on the hem of his garment, he had to have bells, literal, literal bells, and pomegranates, designed little pomegranates on the hem of his garment. So as he walked, you could hear him because the bells would, would sound as he would walk. And so this is what the high priest looked like. Again, the high priest uh, was chosen from the tribe of Levi, and all those who served as priests, as, you know, kind of assistant priests, if you will, were all from the tribe of Levi. In other words, you, you couldn't be a priest unless you had the right Levi genes. <laughs> all right, so a little Wednesday night humor, just warm you up. I know it's a little cold, but anyway, to be a Levite, you had to have the right genes. Okay, so that's the joke for the night. By the way, God doesn't have a problem with priestly service and ministry being family-oriented. God prescribed that if you were to be a priest, your daddy had to be a priest. If you were to be a king, your daddy was to be a king, unless God decided outside of the royal line. Uh, If you were to be a Levite, your daddy had to be a Levite. If you were to be a singer, your daddy had to be a singer. By the way, the, the recent uh, genome project, the Human Genome Project, in, in regards to singing, uh, determined that the ability, the musical ability, and, and particularly to be on pitch, is a genetic attribute. That if your mommy can sing, your daddy can sing, you can probably sing. If you can't sing, blame it on mom or dad. It was probably a genetic thing that the Human Genome Project actually determined that being on pitch is in our DNA. But it's okay. Listen, if some of you, you're not on pitch and you can't sing, the Bible just says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So you can, you can just sing to the Lord and nobody will care because God rejoices whether you can sing on pitch or not. I'm just pointing out that, that God designed in, in this way that families should serve. Honestly, in the New Testament, um, God doesn't have a problem with nepotism. You see, Jesus with John the Baptist was his cousin. A lot of people don't know until you do a little digging that two of his apostles, James and John, were first cousins of Jesus. Jesus' half-brother Jude was the one who wrote the epistle Jude. Jesus' half-brother James was the leader of the first century church and wrote the epistle James. So, you know, God is very family-oriented and he's very ministry-oriented all around. And so in, in our context here, if you're going to be a priest, you have to be of the family of the tribe of Levi And Aaron was selected as the very first high priest. Now, the main responsibility of the high priest was twofold. It was, number one, to represent God to man, and number two, to represent man to God. That he stood literally in the gap and represented both directions. So he's the intermediary, and so he's going to announce to the people things on behalf of God, and he's going to also come on behalf of the people and present offerings to the Lord. And part of what he would do, once a year, the high priest would go behind the veil of the temple, behind the curtain of the, in, inside the temple that separated the most holy place from the holy place, and that high priest would make atonement first for his sins and then the sins of the people by taking blood behind that curtain and sprinkling it on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And in this way, it satisfied the wrath of God through the sacrifice of an animal, the slaughter, the slaughter of a, of a lamb, taking the blood, sprinkling it, and then onto the mercy seat. This was all prescribed by God to make atonement for the people. And the high priest would do this on behalf of the people. It was a very sacred responsibility. It was a very sober thing to be at a high priest and to go in once a year. Today, we, they call it Yom Kippur. And to go in once a year into the presence of God, sprinkle the mercy seat, you make atonement on behalf of the people. It was such a sacred responsibility that Jewish tradition says that they would, we don't read this in the Bible, but Jewish tradition says that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest in case he was killed by God for whatever reason inside the Holy of Holies so that you could drag him out without having to go in there. I mean, you know, and so you have to imagine if you're a high priest, you're like, you're really prayed up the night before. When you, you know, the night before Yom Kippur, you're like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to be in front of the Lord. Oh, Lord, please forgive me of everything I've ever thought, said, or done. I don't want to die today. I mean, you know, that's how it was a very sacred responsibility. So all of this history, because, and there's a lot more that I could say, but for the sake of time, I want to tie this together with Jesus. It's just important for us to understand that for the Jews, the high priest was a very honorable role, a very special role a very um, important and significant role. And without him, you as just like the common people could not really have a connection to God. Your connection to God was only vicariously through the life of the high priest. So when people who were Jewish come to faith in Jesus, now, by the way, there has not been a high priest since 70 AD, since the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. There, there is no priestly service because there are no sacrifices because there is no temple in Jerusalem. And so, therefore, there's a problem if you are a strict Jew who, try, who wants to make atonement for your sins. Many years ago, well, I used to take our group on tours in Jerusalem to a place called the Temple Institute, where there's some very zealous Jews who, are, who have uh, made all the articles of the temple, the vestments of the priest and the high, and the high priest, because they're ready for the day that the temple will be rebuilt. So that once that temple is rebuilt, they're going to have all the articles of the temple, they're going to have the vestments of the priest and the high priest. And so one time I'm, I'm in the Temple Institute, and these are not believers. They don't believe in Jesus. They're, they're waiting for the temple to be rebuilt and for the Messiah to come, but they do not believe that Jesus is Messiah. So I'm having this friendly conversation with them, just trying to help them understand, you know, you're in a bit of a dilemma because since 70 AD, you haven't been able to make atonement for your sins. I mean, if you think that atonement is through the sacrifice of, of an animal and by way of a high priest in the temple, and you haven't had that since 70 AD, that's a problem, you know, and I'm, and I'm you know, just sharing with them about that, like, you know, this, this is why this is why Jesus came, you know, and so I'm just sharing Jesus. Anyway, I wasn't invited back again, but anyhow, but you know, but they heard the gospel. So anyway, but so, but so I share that story because for the Jew, again, here in Hebrews, I mean, they're thinking that the high priest is absolutely fundamentally important for the link between them and God. And the writer of Hebrews is coming along saying, no worries, because Jesus is better than any earthly priest and you get to God through Him. And so that's, that's the consolation and that's the hope. So now let's break down these verses a little bit. And I'm going to share with you six reasons why the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is a better high priest. So back up to where we started here from chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, a great high priest, who has gone through the heavens. Okay, that's number one. He's, he's saying that the reason Jesus is better is because we have a high priest who's in heaven. All other priests are earthly. 
So we have somebody who's superior because our high priest, after he rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, because you sit down when your work is finished, it's accomplished, it's done, and so our high priest is in heaven. He's greater than any earthly high priest. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through the Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link at our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, come visit us. You'll find service times and more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again, 703-771-1500. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker in your Bible where we left off in Hebrews and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.